Philippians 4, Part 2, from the sermon series, Contagious Joy, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. Six years ago, I proposed to the love of my life, Esther. I'm not the type who is romantic. I don't consider myself romantic by any means. But I wanted to go all out on this proposal. And so I, it took me months and months of planning and organizing. At the end of it all, I came up with this idea for a scavenger hunt. Right? The plan was to make her go to these different locations where, I would, where she would get a gift and a riddle which would help her move to the next location. And so the first location was the church office. She went to the church office where she had small group. And after small group ended, Pastor Doug gave her the first gift. It was a dress that I had got, given to her. And so with that gift, she, gave, she got this card with this riddle, which would move her to the next location, which was the nail salon. She found herself at this nail salon where she was given a pair of earrings. And she met her two best friends who were waiting there, waiting to get their nails done together. The next uh, stop was at this, hotel, uh, this, this lobby where she would meet one of her really close friends, Steve Bang, who would give her a pair of heels that I had gotten her. And finally, she would meet me on top of a rooftop where I would be waiting, dressed up in a suit, waiting to propose to her. I still remember being so nervous, thinking about what I was going to say to her. But the moment that I saw her, my nerves went away. She looked beautiful. She was glowing. She was wearing the dress, the earrings, and the heels that I had gotten to her. She was smiling so bright. And as she approached, I took her hands and I did my thing. I proposed to her. And I wish I could tell you that it was this beautiful, magical moment. But in reality, it was actually one of the funnier moments we've had. And the reason why is because she had no idea what was happening. She was really confused. And the reason why is because in that first card that I had given to her, I wanted to surprise her with this proposal, so I told her that this was an early birthday celebration. Esther is very trusting and maybe even a little gullible. And if I can be honest with you, I was actually really disappointed, a little disappointed, because the proposal didn't elicit the response that I wanted. I wasn't disappointed at her answer because obviously she said yes, but I was disappointed at her reaction. I had planned months and months for this proposal, and I didn't get the reaction that I wanted. I was hoping that she would be so overwhelmed with emotion that she would burst into tears. Or I imagined that she would just be so moved by the proposal that she would say an emphatic yes. But instead, I got a confused yes. It wasn't the reaction that I was hoping for. In a way, I was being an ungrateful giver. I was giving, hoping for a specific outcome, but when I didn't get that outcome, I was disappointed. I didn't get what I wanted. My giving had a condition attached to it. I was not what God calls us to be, which is a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver gives because out of, out of joy. They don't care how it's going to be appreciated. Have you ever found giving joyless? We all know the saying that it is better to give than it is to receive. But how many of us know that to be true? I think for many of us, if we're being honest, we love to receive more than we love to give. To give is more difficult, especially sacrificially. But as believers who have been given so much by God, he calls us to be joyful givers. 
As we conclude our series on contagious joy, I want to take a look at what it looks like to give sacrificially with joy. Answering the question, why does sacrificial giving produce joy? And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 23. Philippians 4, starting with verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Here at the very end of his letter, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, addressing the very reason why he has written them. Paul thanks the church for their support. The church has been instrumental in supporting Paul and his ministry to share the gospel. In fact, Paul mentions that they are the only church that has given to him, and he is filled with joy. But he doesn't want his joy to be misplaced. And so he goes on explaining why he's so thankful. In verse 10, Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. It almost sounds as if Paul is ungrateful. It sounds like he's being passive aggressive in mentioning that it's been so long that they've helped him. But Paul goes on to explain that the very reason it has been so long is because they did not have an opportunity to do so. Paul is thankful that at last they have been given an opportunity and they've taken hold of that opportunity. But Paul has another reason to be joyful. The second reason Paul is so joyful is not because his needs are being met, but instead their giving is evidence of their mature faith. Their giving is their fruitfulness. It shows that they have been growing in spiritual maturity. Nothing matters more to Paul than to see people come to faith and fall in love with Jesus. Paul does not want his readers 
thinking that his joy comes from material wealth or the fulfillment of his needs. In fact, Paul says that his needs have no bearing on his joy because he has learned to be content. Contentment is vital to joy. You can't have joy without being content. So what does it mean to be content? Some might think of contentment as being satisfied. And if that's your definition of contentment, then your solution to being content might be to lower your standards so that you're not disappointed. Or it might be to choose complacency so that you don't expect too much. But having desires and ambition is not mutually exclusive to being content. In fact, Paul gives us a picture of what true contentment looks like in every situation and every circumstance. The Greek word for contentment that Paul uses here is atarkis. And for anyone hearing Paul's word in those days, if they heard Paul say that word, they would have immediately thought about Stoicism. Stoics, Stoics believed that the ultimate joy in life, the ultimate goal in life, was to be self-sufficient to the point that they were above need or abundance. It was self-sufficiency that was so vital to have them live independent of others and their circumstances. But for Paul, the secret of being content is not self-sufficiency. It is Christ-sufficiency. He says, starting verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. People have used this verse, verse 13, to express, express that God will bless their endeavors. People have recited this verse claiming it so that they would have victory. I've heard so many athletes say this when being interviewed after a praiseworthy performance. They'll say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But this verse is not just about our victories. It is also about our defeats. Paul finds Christ sufficient in times of plenty as well as in times of need. It doesn't matter the situation and circumstance we find ourselves in when we have Jesus by our side. Contentment is looking at life with Christ being present. It's to see life in every situation through the lens of Christ being sufficient for us. The reason why we can be content in every situation is because Jesus gives us what we need to endure through every circumstance. And that's in times of need and in the times of plenty. The secret of being content is not to trust in yourself, but to trust in the peace and provision of Jesus. We are rich in Christ. It's from this place of being content and trusting in God that Paul is able to give all of himself to the church. He no longer is worried about, worries about his needs being met because instead he wants to see the church flourish. And it was the same for the church in Philippi. The Philippians gave sacrificially to Paul. They weren't a rich congregation who had much. They gave not out of their plenty, but out of their poverty. In 2 Corinthians verse 8, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth about the Philippians. He says in verse 8, 
And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, the Philippians. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The church in Philippi was poor, but they were generous with what they had. They gave sacrificially to Paul because they loved him. They saw Paul as a friend. The friendship, their friendship was based not on indebtedness of paying each other back or trying to outdo each other, but they freely gave of what they had out of joy. It brought great joy for them to give. They gladly gave, understanding that they had been given so much by Jesus. Both Paul and the Philippians give generously because they know what it is to be content. Instead of looking out for their own gain, it gives them great joy to give sacrificially. Both Paul and the church don't have much to give, but what they do have, they give freely. There is a joy that they experience knowing that they can bless each other instead of themselves. When was the last time you felt joy in giving? When was the last time you felt joy in giving? And when I speak about giving, I'm not only talking about financially. Yes, God does want you to give your money to bless others. But he also wants you to use your talents. If you have a gift for teaching kids, maybe God is asking you to serve in the student ministries. Or maybe even in a time like this in the pandemic, maybe God is asking you to teach remotely. I know that there are parents who are struggling with that. And maybe they could use your help. Maybe God is asking you to give up your time to provide for those in need. Pastor Dan mentioned last week that we have a ministry where we serve families in the Englewood neighborhood. We provide them with supplies and food for those who, who are in need. Maybe giving for you means joining a small group and sharing your wisdom. Maybe what you have to give is wisdom. Maybe you find yourself to be a wise person. Why don't you give it away? The point is that we, have, we all have something to give. We all have talents, gifts, resources, even time in our presence. But will we do it with a joyful heart? Anyone can give begrudgingly out of routine or guilt. But can we give from a place of contentment, surrendering to God what he's given to us because he has given us so much and he will continue to provide for our needs? God wants a cheerful giver because our hearts matter also. We have a routine in our house for when my son Weston goes to sleep. We first bathe him and then we put his clothes on and then he'll go over to his crib and next to his crib is a white noise machine. So he'll turn that on and he'll start running to Esther. He'll give her a kiss, say, I love you. And he does this little finger heart motion and he says, good night. After all of that, he comes to me to grab his milk so I could feed him, sing Jesus loves you, and put him down to bed. Right? This is his routine. He's done this a thousand times. He knows to do this without even thinking. Even to the point where this past week, 
he was going to bed. He turned on his white noise machine. He went to Esther. He gave her a kiss. And then afterwards, he just started moving away with his heart and saying, I love you. Good night. And so, of course, as loving parents, what do we do? We stop them. We say, look at your mom, look at Esther, and tell her you love her. And the reason why is because we don't want to just be told that he loves us. We want him to really mean it. We don't just want his affections. We want him to do it with gladness and joy. In the same way, God doesn't want us to give out of guilt or routine. But he wants us to give generously and cheerfully because we desire it and it brings us joy. When we give sacrificially, we will be able to experience joy, great joy. And so why does sacrificial giving produce joy? The first reason, sacrificial giving produces joy because it is a privilege. Giving is a privilege. No one can force you to give. Giving is voluntary, but God gives us opportunities to serve him. Giving is a privilege because it's an opportunity to be part of the work that God is doing around the world. This is why in verse 14, Paul writes, Yes, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. It was good of you to share in my troubles. The Philippians didn't have to share in Paul's troubles. They weren't being asked to, nor were they expected to support Paul. But they chose to give to Paul, and it was credited to them as good. Paul doesn't say it was for my good that you supported me, but it was for your good. God doesn't need us to accomplish his will, but he chooses to use us. I'm not a great singer, and I'm not going to try to sing this for you, but there is a powerful worship song that speaks to this truth. And the chorus goes, I give myself away, I give myself away so you can use me. The privilege that we have is to be used by God. And to take it further, Paul says in verse 14, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul once again reiterates that it's not He is not concerned for himself, but what he desires is to see more fruitfulness in this church so that it would be credited to their account. What we do here on earth matters, and God takes into account our faithfulness, including our sacrificial giving. The motivation of our giving should never be to reap a reward, but a byproduct of it is that God takes notice. This is why it is a privilege to give. And we have to be sure to take hold of every opportunity that God gives to us to be ministers of his grace in the world. The church in Philippi took hold of the opportunity to partner with Paul when the chance presented itself. How many of us are willing to partner with God when he presents us an opportunity to bless others? God presents us with opportunities to give, but many of us are reluctant to say yes. I see it all the time. God gives us an opportunity to mentor someone, but we say we're too busy. God gives you an opportunity to partner in the fight for racial righteousness with the church, but it's not a cause close to your heart, and so you stand on the sidelines. You're asked to serve in the church, 
but your response is, let me pray about it. I know what that means. It's a no, but you're just trying to be nice about it. Or, but for some of you guys, you really do want to pray about it. And so this is what I have to say to you. There are many things that we need to bring before God in prayer, but serving should never be one of them. When it comes to blessing others in the church, God will never say no. We all have the ability to give, but giving will look different for all of us. Maybe he's given you a voice to stand up for the voiceless. Maybe he's given you leadership abilities to lead in different causes. Maybe he's given you financial resources to support and sponsor ministries and, and programs. In the, ten, in the parable of the ten talents, Jesus reminds us that we will have to take into account for the things that God has given to us. For those of us who have been given much, we have greater responsibility to do much with it. It's out of our abundance that we have the privilege to give. A couple of weeks ago, I had my car serviced. Uh, many of you guys know that I love my car. Uh, some may even believe or some might think that I am borderline worship it. All right, I'm the type of person who will park really far away, away from all the other cars, because I'm scared that's going to get a scratch or dent. Right? So I am very particular and careful with my car. And so at the time, I was looking for a Volkswagen specialist to service it. And they did a great job. I took it to this place uh, in New Milford. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. Um, but I took it to them, and they did a great job. They gave me great service. They gave me a great price. And they even went the extra step where the owner called me the next couple of days or in a couple of days and just asked me how the car was running. And so I thought they went above and beyond their service, expected service. I was so delighted with that conversation because not only were we talking about how the car ran, but we just started talking about life. And it was such a good conversation until the very end, right? Right before he's about to hang up, he says, you be careful out there because you know why? The China virus is out there. And he hangs up. Like, I couldn't believe what he just said. I was shocked. I was stunned. And then eventually I just became angry. And so I was like, you know, what can I do here? And so I just started thinking in my anger, you know what? I'm going to hit him where it hurts. I'm not going to give him my business anymore. I'm not going to give him another cent. In fact, I might just write a terrible review about him. But then I started thinking about it and sitting in this anger. God started to give me peace. And then I started to see this as an opportunity to be used by God. I realized that God was giving me this opportunity to love on this person and to actually have a conversation with him about what he said. The easy thing for me to do would have just been to forget him, to never go see him again, to never bring my business to him. But I realized the privilege that God was giving to me was to be able to educate and help this person grow. And so I decided that I would continue to give him my business, hoping that I could build a relationship with him and to have and talk to him about what he had said. I see this as an opportunity to be used by God as a privilege. To give is a privilege. God gives us opportunities to partner with him to change the world, even if it means one person at a time. The joy that we experience from giving sacrificially comes from being used by him. The second reason sacrificial giving produces joy is because giving is an act of worship. 
Giving is an act of worship. In verse 18, Paul writes, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. While Paul was a recipient of the gifts, he knows that ultimately the gift is to God for his faithfulness. The gift was to Paul's benefit, but it was given in response to God and God's faithfulness. The gifts were given as a fragrant offering, pleasing to God. For many of us, when we think about offering, I think the first thought that comes to mind is tithing. And when it comes to tithing, our standard of giving is 10%. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are only to give 10%. The gifts that the Philippians offer to Paul here are not their tithes. It is a gift in addition to their tithing. It included food, clothes, and money. Giving God an offering comes in many forms. What can you give as an offering to God today? When we give sacrificially, whether it's our gifts, our talent, our resources, or our time to bless others, we are doing it in response to God's command to love him and to love others. Giving is a way that we show where our, loyalty, or where our loyalty and love lies. We will naturally give to the things that we love. We will naturally worship the things that we love. Right? None of you would withhold giving your children the very best. You give them every opportunity to succeed in life. You are willing to give up your time, your convenience, and yes, even spend a lot of money for their sports, their academics, and any other extracurricular activity because you love them. But would you do the same for God? Would you make the same sacrifices for God? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper worship. I love that Paul says that our true and proper worship is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. God doesn't just want us to sing praise songs to him. He wants us to worship, with, worship him with how we live and in this case, how we give. Worship is about declaring how worthy God is. When we are willing to give everything that we have to him, it honors him. When we give sacrificially, it pleases him. It makes him happy. And that is why giving produces joy. When we give ourselves up to God as a living sacrifice, we please God. And there is no greater delight than to make the one that we love happy. When we give and use our resources to bless others, it is our act of worship to God. Giving is an act of worship. And the third reason sacrificial giving produces joy is because giving comes with a promise. Giving comes with a promise. This passage began when Paul, with Paul thanking the Philippians for their gift, but it ends with Paul giving them a promise. Paul writes in verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 
Paul is writing from a place of not being able to give much. He's in prison. He's, in house, he's under house arrest in Rome, so he can't go visit the Philippians. He doesn't have much to give. He doesn't have any finance, financial gifts to give them, to support them. Paul doesn't have much to give to the church, but he knows of one who can and who will give greater than he could, and that's Jesus. The promise that God has for us is that he will meet every one of our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. It's a promise rooted in God's wisdom and love. When God promises to give us everything that we need, it isn't a promise to give us what we want. We have to remember that it's God who decides what our needs are, not us. There are many things that we think that we need, but in reality, they're just really wants and desires. God knows our hearts. He knows our situation. He knows our circumstances. He knows what we need at every moment, and he will supply it. It's because of this promise that we experience joy when we give. Knowing that God will meet our every need leads us to give a sa giving sacrificially because we don't have to worry about ourselves. Right? God has that covered. Right? Think about this for a moment. The God of the universe, the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, has got your back. How amazing is that? But not only that, when God says that he will meet our every need, it also means that we can never outgive God. No matter how generous we may be, God is more generous. Even if you think about what you have to give, it's all from God. Everything that we have is from God, and so we are called to be good stewards of the gifts that he's given to us. When it comes to giving, the question that we ask ourselves should never be, how much do I give? The question should be, how much do I keep? Because God is the owner of everything that we have. The church in Philippi gave out of their poverty because they understood this promise. They understood that God would meet all of their needs, and so they gave sacrificially, not worrying about themselves, but trusting in God. There is a freedom in knowing that God will provide. You no longer need to hoard things for yourself. If there's one thing that I've learned in the pandemic is that people love hoarding things. Right? When, the first, when the pandemic first hit, people started going to Costco and everywhere else to what? To collect toilet paper. Right? Out of all the things that we could collect and prepare with, it's toilet paper. How many of us were gripped with fear thinking that we'd be stuck at home with not enough toilet paper? Right? See, once again, the things that we think we need are really just wants. Worrying about our needs causes us to hold on to the things that we have. But knowing that God will provide gives us the freedom to give everything away. Let's stand firm on the promise of God. Let's give joyfully and sacrificially knowing that our God continues to provide for us. Years ago, uh, I went on a missions trip to uh, the Ivory Coast. I was part of this group of about 20 people uh, from three different churches. And I met some amazing people there. I met amazing people at the church that we're partnered with. I met amazing people that we serve. But the person who stands out most to me in the whole group, the whole time, was my friend Wayne. Wayne, at the time, he was in his early 30s. He's from California, so he had this cool, chill vibe about him. 
He's funny and charismatic. People naturally gravitated towards him. But what I admire most about him is just his love and devotion to God. Wayne had a deep passion for missions, especially for the Ivory Coast. Going to, going to the Ivory Coast was not just a break from his daily life, but it was his calling. While most people will serve God when it's convenient, when they have time, when they can fit it into their schedules, Wayne made it a priority to in his life. So much so, he was so committed to the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus to everyone, especially on these missions trips, that whenever he couldn't take the days off, whenever his employer didn't give him the days in the summer to take off, he would quit his job. And the year that I went just so happened to be one of those years. Wayne was living in New York City, working in the fashion industry, and he gave it all up to go serve for a summer. Wayne gave his time, his finances, and yes, his security living with the uncertainty of not knowing how he would get, how he would provide for himself when he came back. But he did it with a glad and joyful heart because he saw serving God as an act of worship. He saw loving on people and sharing the good news as his privilege. And he trusted and clung on to the promises of God that God would take care of him. And I'm happy to say that God has taken care of him. Wayne still lives in New York City. He still works in the fashion industry. And he still goes to the Ivory Coast every summer. Giving sacrificially is not easy. It takes us to the place of being content in Jesus. In this season of loss due to the pandemic, there is great need. And God is calling our church to give sacrificially. We have so much to offer to God. And I don't know specifically what he's asking you to give. But what I do know is that as you give, you will experience great joy. Giving is a privilege. It's an act of worship. And it comes with a promise. So let's stand firm on the promise of God that as we give, God will meet every one of our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and all that you've given to us because we know that everything that we have is a gift from you. And you're calling us to give sacrificially. You're giving us to be cheerful givers. And especially in this time, God, when there's a so much loss, there's so much need, I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to trust in your promises that you will take care of us so that we can look out after the needs of others. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see and to have clarity about the things that we can give I think for many of us, God, when we think about giving, it's about money, but it's not. You want us to give, us, give up our talents, our gifts, our resources, our time, our presence, and most of all, our hearts. And so, Father, would you give us the eyes to be able to see those who are hurting for those who are in need so that we can fill that gap 
and be your hands and your feet into this world, Lord. Thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for being so loving. Thank you for making us so rich in Christ. May we surrender our lives to you, God, that we would be a living sacrifice, pleasing unto you. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. At this time, if you could take out your communication card, um, and you can find it on the Metro app, or if you go online to emetro.org Sunday, you'll find it there. There's a couple of next steps that I would like to lead us through. The first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. Right? This is the greatest commitment that you could ever make. To be committed to Jesus, to knowing him, to loving him, to be falling deeply in love with him. And so if, you, if that's you, please just check it off. One of our pastors will connect with you this week uh, just to help walk you through that and to really talk about what that commitment means. The second, I will join a summer small group. We have summer small groups going on. Uh, we're halfway there, halfway through the summer groups, but there's still opportunities to come and join. Um, and so maybe that's the way that you give today, right? Give up your time to share your wisdom, to share your insights, and to help each other grow. Third, I will support the Crisis Benevolence Fund and the Food Pantry with a financial gift. Uh, just as Pastor Dan mentioned last week, we have this fund to really support this, the people who are in great need at this moment. And so if you are feeling convicted, may God just move you to give financially to this fund. And the last, I will journal about all the ways that God has met my needs in this season of COVID-19. God has done so much for, for us and he continues to do so much for us. But I think sometimes we take granted, especially the little things. So maybe this is your way of just remembering the promise of God that he will take care of every one of your needs. So if that's you, please check that off.